is a praying church. What, a while back, right? There's no better way to be a praying church than to actually pray together, church. It's one of the things I think we do just as people is we say, we want this, we want this, we want this, and sometimes we just need to take the step and actually do it. That's what we're doing here. That's why we're trying to institute this time of prayer before our sermons uh, to make sure as a church we're actually practicing the things we are preaching and say we, we believe will draw us closer to the Lord. So beautiful time of prayer, Eric. Thank you for leading us in that. I pray that it blessed you and drew you closer to the Lord as we dig into his word today, uh, which is right on topic as well because we've finished uh, our series on Matthew 13 and the kingdom parables and we have a few weeks before we want to start digging into our next uh, book we're going to be walking through line by line and verse by verse, which will be uh, the book of Nehemiah. And so I talked to our newly installed pastors as of last week, and what would be a good point of emphasis for us to look at as a church. And this is what we want to do. We want to spend the next three weeks exhorting ourselves and exhorting one another to prayer, to being people who truly pursue God in prayer. And that's why uh, the passage on the screen today is the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11. If you would, go ahead and open up your Bibles to uh, Luke 11 with me. Um, I'm going to read it here for us in just a minute. And I hope that we're going to see from this teaching uh, from Jesus here to his disciples how and why, as Christians, we should pray. As you're opening your Bibles, as we, as we get to that point, I do want to preface this for us all right now. Um, I want us to acknowledge that every single one of us would, uh, would recognize the importance that it is for Christians to be praying, to be pursuing God in prayer. But I think if you asked every single one of us, we would all, uh, if we were honest, admit that it is not where we want it to be. And that doesn't matter where you're at in life, you're always going to sit there and look and say, I know that I could be pursuing God better in prayer. I know I could be pursuing Him more in prayer. So this is not a beatdown for us today as a church, right? This is not for us to come and 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 you know, flatulate ourselves, right? We're not practicing asceticism here where we beat our bodies and talk about how bad we've been today. This is an encouragement for us today, church, to pursue the one true and living God through one of the means that he gave us to pursue him with. So it'll be easy for us all to look at ourselves and be very beaten down today with where we're at in our lives of prayer. But church, look at this and be strengthened today knowing who it is you get to follow who it is who has saved you, who has given his son for you, and has made the way for you to have communication with him, communion with him through prayer. Let's go ahead and look at his word now in Luke chapter 11. Hope you're open there with me. I'm going to go ahead and read out loud. You go ahead and follow along. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you has a friend? Will go with him at midnight and say to him, Friend, Lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are, are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything, because he is a friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. 
And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will, him, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly, or will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? This is the word of the Lord. I have a little bit of congestion running through the house this week, so if I have to sip on my water, please bear with me. Every time there's some sort of tragedy in America, in American public life, whether it be some kind of terrible storm, a hurricane, or a tornado maybe, or some kind of man-caused evil, like a, like a public shooting or a mass shooting, or some other kind of violent crime. It's been common for politicians and, and even everyday people to express uh, sympathy and condolences with a public statement saying that their thoughts and their prayers are with the victims of whatever particular thing is going on, right? We've seen it. We know this used to be an acceptable way to express sympathy in a situation like this, too. But recently, it's become more and more common to see responses from people who angrily reject the notion that prayer would do anyone any good. With defiance, as people, or as people share their thoughts and their prayers during times of tragedy, others publicly proclaim that it's time to do something more than just pray. And people shake their fists at a God they say doesn't exist. What good is prayer, they ask. We can go ahead and click the next slide too, guys. It'd be great. What good is prayer, they ask. What good is it? Is God listening? Is He there? Does He care? Let's ignore the irony for a second that people who say God doesn't exist are angry that this God isn't answering prayers, right? Let's ignore that for just a second, and let's back up for a bit of self-examination when it comes to prayer in our lives as Christians, because I believe if we don't examine ourselves here, we run the risk of becoming just as callous to the idea that prayer has a meaningful impact in our lives and the lives of those around us. Or even worse, we become apathetic to the way God works in our lives, how He conforms us to the image of His Son, how He sanctifies us, and how we serve one another when we seek after Him in prayer. Those are the two sides of the road we can run off of. So we have to examine ourselves today because prayer is vital to the life of a Christian. Because prayer is not about God giving people the things they want. Prayer is about people pursuing God and God being the one that we want. A.W. Tozer, in his book, simply entitled Prayer, says to this effect, If our everyday lives are filled with the barrenness of busyness and no serious urgency to pray, then we miss the wonderful journey of being conformed to the image of Christ and knowing our God more intimately. We miss it. When we abandon prayer, when we think, is God even there? Is He listening at all? We miss the wonderful journey of being conformed to Christ and knowing Him more intimately. Because prayer truly is not about God giving people what they want, but it is about us wanting God and pursuing Him. 
This is why we open our Bibles today to Luke chapter 11, to this story where the disciples are coming to Jesus and they're asking him to teach them how to pray. We come to this instruction that Jesus gives so that when we ask ourselves, the, when we uh, look at ourselves and we say, I know I should pray, right? I know I should be doing this, but how should I do it? How, how do I do this? How do I approach you, God? Or we wonder to ourselves, I know I should be praying, but is it really doing any good? I think Luke chapter 11 here gives us answers to both of those questions. And as we seek to be a praying church, right? That's a piece of being kingdom-minded, being people who are pursuing God with our heart and our soul and our mind, and prayer is a key component, component to that. This text gives us an answer to those two questions that would hinder our prayer life. If we look back at our text today, right in verse 1, we see Jesus' example of that. This is where the story begins now, right? Jesus in verse 1 is sitting there and he's praying. And while he's praying, his disciples come to him and they ask him, teach us how to pray like John taught his disciples. And the answer Jesus gives them is, okay, when you pray, say. And we know there are many people that read those words and they take that instruction to mean repeat exactly what Jesus said, right? There's a lot of people around the face of this planet that do that day in and day out. But the exact repetition of these words is not the thing that we're looking to take from this. But rather, I think what we're looking to get from Jesus' words in verses 2 to 4 is a template. It's a template for us instructing us how we should pray. The first thing I think we notice as we look at this template for our prayers is the one in whom we pray to. Jesus tells us to pray, Father... Hallowed be your name. When we pray, we do not come to some kind of impersonal force. When we pray, we do not come to some God that is far away and is distant and set everything off into motion and said, good luck to you guys. Jesus tells us when we come to pray, we come to our Heavenly Father. Chapter 1 of John's Gospel in verse 11, John says, Jesus came to his own and his people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. It should be no small thought for us, brothers and sisters. As we get to approach the throne of the creator of the universe through the inheritance of of His Son, Jesus, that He shares with us, we get to approach Him as Father. This is not something we deserve. This is not something we have earned. This is God showing us His kindness and His grace and His love for us to adopt us through His Son, Jesus, as His children in faith. This is a beautiful, beautiful thing for us, church. And it is something that we too often neglect And right now, if we take the time to breathe that in and we ponder the immensity of that thought, if we ever needed an answer to the question, why should we pray? I think verse 1 is a place we could read and stop right there. Father. Father. Jesus tells us here that prayer in a very real way is us communing with God in a way that is personal and is intimate. Right? God is not strange. He's not foreign. He's not, uh, he's not uh, out there and, and just apart from us. He is holy and he's just, right? 
But he has said, I've adopted you as my child, and I am your father. This is our father in heaven who we get to go to in prayer. And I think that shows us the first part of the way Jesus tells us to pray is that our prayer is God-focused. I'm going to go ahead and click on to the next slide to you guys. That'd be great. Teach us to pray. The first thing, God is close and intimate to us through prayer. He is our Father. Our prayers are God-focused. I think this is important for us to remember because there's a stereotype about what Christians do when they gather together to pray. We probably would all chuckle right, as this story goes on, because we probably have experienced it, right? But a church says, we're going to have a prayer meeting tonight, and we're going to be meeting from 6 to 7 to come together to pray. And as the people gather together for that hour of meeting, what do the first 50 minutes of that meeting get spent on? Well, you know, I bumped my hip today, and it's hurting really bad, and you know, I stubbed my toe. Sorry, Katie, I know that hurt really bad when you stubbed it too. I've been dealing with this sickness, and for 50 minutes of an hour that we say we're going to come together to pray, we go through every ache and pain of ourselves and every second cousin that we have, and we go on and on and on for this time that we said we're going to pursue the Lord and seek after Him in prayer. And rather than it being God-focused, dedicated to Him, we spend 50 minutes gossiping about all of the things that are wrong in our lives. We miss something when we do that, church. We miss something when we do that. Don't get me wrong, right? We, we need to be bringing those things to one another. We need to be praying for one another. We should be intercessing for one another, especially when we know we're hurt and we're struggling. Those are good things to do. But when we say we're coming to pray, our prayers are first and foremost focused on God, our Father. That's where our attention is. When we meet in a prayer meeting like that, and it's mostly spent speaking to one another about all the physical pain that we're feeling in this world, we're keeping our eyes fixed down on the place in which the source of that pain is coming from, and there is no relief, there is no deliverance, and our priorities are out of order. Because the one who does bring relief, the one who does bring deliverance, the one who will set us free from sin in this world is not here, but is up here. That is where our prayers should be focused. Upward, toward God, who is with us. It's true. But when we pray, we're not looking down to the dust of the earth. We are looking at the one true living God who is power to impact our lives, to transform our lives, to change in a very real way the things in which we're consumed by. Do we see Jesus tell us to pray that our thoughts are first and foremost here, are kingdom-focused, right? So they're God-focused, they're kingdom-focused. Jesus says in verse 2, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. The times we stop and we pray, whether by ourselves or together in a group, Use this time to fix our mind on who God is. Use this time to fix our mind on who God has revealed himself to be. Use this time to remind ourselves what we know to be true about him through his word. And use this time to encourage one another to see his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven and his will being done here on earth as it is in heaven. 
That's where our prayers should start, church. Not with us, but with God. I think for us, as we, we wonder how do we do this, I would just recommend incorporate Scripture into your prayer. This is a great way to do this. Eric demonstrated that for us as he, as he led us this morning in that very thing. We started with the Scripture. We started with the Psalms. Right? So many of the Psalms are prayers that, that David and other men left behind for us as they were seeking the Lord first. So if we, if we struggle and say, I'm not sure how to follow this pattern, go to your scripture first. Go to your Bibles first and find those things you know to be true about God and use them to fix your focus on our King. I want to take this opening time to really stress that our prayers are first and foremost focused on God, our Father, focused on His kingdom. But there is an element, brothers and sisters, don't miss, don't miss this. Let's not abandon this. There is an element of our prayers that sees us as we come before God for His provision and for intercession for one another. We see it in verses 3 and verse 4 where Jesus says, Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Our greatest need in prayer is for God to take our will through that time as we seek Him and to reveal His splendor and His majesty to us and to use times of prayer to conform us to His will, to make us people that want to see His will be done and His kingdom come. This is why Matthew in chapter 6, uh, verse 33, that Jesus tells us, which is shortly after His instruction in the Sermon on the Mount on uh, how to pray and where we see the other instance of the Lord's Prayer, But he says in verse 33, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And when he's talking about all these things there in verse 33, if we went back to look at it, we would see that he is talking about our material needs in this world. So while our prayers are first and foremost God-centered, and we should see us look to God to conform our will to His, verse 3 in this petition here in Luke 11 Jesus tells us to come to God and that each day we come to Him and ask that He would give us our daily bread. What does it mean for the Lord to provide our daily bread? Each day, Lord, we are dependent upon You. Each day, Lord, we seek after You and You are the one, Father, who will provide what it is that we need. Our physical needs aren't the centerpiece of our prayer, but Jesus tells us that in our prayer, it is good for us to seek God for His provision because He is the one who truly provides day in and day out through our lives. And through those prayers, through those prayers, we learn to trust Him, don't we? We learn to see His daily provision in our lives. Just stop and think for a second back in your own life. Think about this path that God has put you on since He has saved you and has made Himself known to you. Do you see the things He's provided for you? I can. There are so many steps along the way that I look and I say, God, if you were not at work there, I don't know what would have happened. You orchestrated and ordained this and set this, Father. 
And you provided for your ends. And he has been faithful. And we can all, I know every single one of us in this room, no matter where we came from, what our background is, whether we're rich or poor or wherever it is, sometime in our lives we can look and we can see God providing. And we know for certain this was you, Lord. It was all you. We see his daily provision in our lives and it causes him to trust us more. Remember those things, church. Remember when you're on your knees and you're in prayer and saying, Lord, I need my daily bread today. Remind yourself of his faithfulness and how he's been there for us through our lives. Our prayer, our God focus, God our Father, God your kingdom come. But Jesus tells us, bring your physical needs to him. Come to him and leave those at the feet of the cross. But there's a, uh, the last two petitions in verse 4. At point C it says, God's physical and spiritual provision. God provides for us physically. But he provides for us spiritually as well, does he not, church? Verse 4, we see it. Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. God provides for our spiritual needs in prayer as well. Right? On this side of eternity, I'm going to mess things up. Jesus has saved me. I know there are sins that he has freed me from, but I still wrestle with temptation. You still wrestle with temptation. We are all still in this world. Though we're not of the world, we're still in it. This is spiritual provision for us. For those times we know, I don't deserve to call you my Father right now, Lord. Please forgive me. Please forgive me of my sins. And Lord, Lord, let me never forsake what Christ has done on the cross now. So lead me, Lord. Lead me not into temptation. Give me your Holy Spirit so that when my sin comes, when the temptation comes, I have the strength to make war against it. So that I don't just sit there and I just say, well, I just kind of messed up today. But no, I come before God and I say, Jesus, thank you for your gift of yourself on the cross. And Father, I am not worthy to come before you. Please forgive me because I messed up today. And I need your grace today, just like I did when you saved me that, that first time so long ago. In this prayer... Jesus provides for us physically and he provides for us spiritually. We do this too. An important element that I just want to make note of is that as we seek his forgiveness and we seek for his power to not be led into temptation, we need to be reminded to be quick to forgive others as well. We need to be reminded of that because when we look in the mirror and we know how much God has forgiven us, we have no reason to sit there and be angry. We have no reason to sit there and to hold on to those hurts and those pains. And there are real hurts and there are real pains that many of you have felt. There are real wrongs that have been committed to many of you. That's not to downplay any of those. That's not the case. But if you are holding on to that, I just want to encourage you to embrace the Lord's spiritual provision today. His son has died and has paid the cost for those sins. You can let those go and those can be behind you and you can be free from that hate 
and that anger and the things that weigh us down in that way so we can freely worship God, our Heavenly Father. Amen? This is the point in our text now where I think we shift a little bit. And after we get this template of prayer in these first four verses, Jesus follows this instruction up with a parable in verses 5 to 8. We can go ahead and click to the next slide too, guys. That'd be great. He follows that parable up with some poetic language about asking, seeking, and knocking in verses 9 through 10. And then he closes this teaching in verses 11 to 13 with another parable. You get a little bit of a, little bit of a sandwich there with a parable, poetic language, which asks, seek, knock, and we get that repeated, and then we get another parable. And if the first four uh, verses that we've just spent the last uh, you know, 15, 20 minutes looking at are Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray? I would argue that I think these next nine verses that we're going to briefly look at give us the reason as to why we should pray. This part of the passage, as we look at verse 8, it starts with this parable, right? And it starts with this parable of a friend who shows up at his buddy's house in the middle of the night because he needs food to feed Another friend who's just so happened to show up in the middle of the night, right? So here's this guy going, pounding on his buddy's door, saying, hey, I got to feed somebody. He just showed up at my house, and I got nothing to feed him. We can all probably uh, uh, relate to this picture at some, some degree or another, right? Because we've probably all gone over to a neighbor's house looking for sugar or eggs or milk or, or something of the sort. But how many of you did that at midnight? No? Brian, if I came knocking on your door at midnight asking for some bread? You... Okay, 3 a.m., there you go. <laughs> what would the human reaction be to this friend of ours who shows up in the middle of the night? You know, a lot of us might look at this friend who knocks on the door at midnight kind of like the guy in the parable does too, right? Who tells his friend, we're asleep. Go away. You're bugging me and my kids. What are you doing? But this guy just keeps knocking, and he just keeps asking. Meaning the guy who hears the knocking and the asking has to continue to respond until he says, Fine, I'm coming. Here's your bread. Get out of here. This is the response that Jesus intends to tell us, right? This is the response. He, he says it. Let me get back to where I'm at. In verse, um, verse 8. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is a friend, yet because of his impudence. This guy's annoyed. This is how we react as humans when people ask for something from us, isn't it? You show up at my house at midnight, I'm not going to be happy about it. You should have called me or something earlier, right? That's our human mind. That's our human thinking. This is not how God responds to us, brothers and sisters. This is not how God responds to us. The man of the parable who was supposed to be a friend finally relents out of his annoyance. But God tells us to bring that kind of persistence. This kind of persistence that's going on, the human responds poorly. But God says, come, ask, and seek, and knock. Because those who ask receive, and those who seek find. And to those who knock, it will be opened. God wants us to be persistent in coming after him in prayer. And he will not respond like humans do when we come and be annoyed and say, you're bugging me, leave me alone. 
That is never God's, uh, God, who God is. I want to make a note too, of course, when we read things like those who ask receive, it always sparks the question for many people that if that means we can ask anything, right? That Jesus is just going to give us any of our fleshly desires, right? I mean, I really want a Ferrari. So if I keep asking for a Ferrari, am I going to get my Ferrari? No, no. We've already seen in Jesus' instruction on prayer to this point that the point of prayer is not the stuff that is in this world that we're chasing after. It is not what is worthy of that kind of pursuit that this friend was showing at midnight, banging on his friend's door. No, God is the one who is worthy of that kind of pursuit. God is the one that, as he's opened our eyes to himself and his glory, that we continue to knock over and over and over again, asking him where we just refuse to go away because we know God is our greatest good and we know he wants us to persist in chasing after him. We ask and we seek and we knock and we don't go away because he promises to open that door and to let us in. He promises to give us what we need in him. This active pursuit of God is not an annoyance to him, brothers and sisters. It is pleasing to him. Just think about that for a second. We get to come to God anytime, any day. And we get to see him and remember what he's done for us. And he never tires of that. That's better than that friend we go to at midnight, is it not? We said it earlier, church, but prayer is not about God giving people what we want. Prayer is about people wanting more of God, and through that desire and action of prayer, God is making us more like himself. He is what we're pursuing. He is the one we're pursuing to be like. And this, this should be driving our prayers. This should be the thing that when we find ourselves prayerless, we say, God, drive that out of me. Bring me back to you, Father in heaven. And this ha- when this happens, our prayers change from what they were when we were non-believers, right? What are the kind of crazy things we pray for before we know Christ? Right? We pray for Ferraris, right? We pray for all kinds of frivolous things. Or we, we look at God and we say, God, if you would just give me this thing, then I'll know you're real. Right? Those are the kind of things we look to God before we have Christ. And we think, answer my prayer if you're real. Demanding of God. Us, the creation, looking at Him, telling Him what to do. When we've been saved and we see what prayer does in our lives, we see that we ask and we seek and we knock and we chase after Him. We grow in maturity in our faith. What do we do with our prayers? We end up imitating our Savior and our King Jesus. And our prayers all of a sudden start to look a whole lot more like His did when He was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And He was agonizing with the Father. And He didn't sit there and say, God, I don't want this. I'm not going to do it. I'm... No. He didn't do that, did He, church? He looked at God and He said, Father, not my will, but Yours. And as we seek Him in prayer and we mature in our faith and we keep our prayers God-focused and we, we follow what He's given us and we ask and we seek and we knock, guess what? Our prayers look a whole lot more like that. 
Not my will, Father, but yours. Not my will, but yours. It's not about fulfilling our worldly desires. It's about being conformed more to Christ through communion with Him. This is what we need. This is what we need. We don't think it's what we need, but it is what we need. If, I, if my kids came to me and they started asking me for, for just all kinds of things, Dad, I want a cake for dinner. Okay, well, you had cake for lunch. You can't have cake for dinner. No, that's what I want. And I just kept giving them the cake over and over again. Is that what they need? That's not what they need, right? God knows what we need. God knows what we, what we need. And what we need is Him. And this is the point of that final parable, right? This is the point of that final parable. And this is the question we have on, on bullet points. See up there. What does God give us in prayer? What does He give us in prayer? When we ask and we seek and we knock, what is it we receive from Him? Well, Jesus talks in this parable about earthly fathers who give their kids uh, what they need when they ask, right? And Jesus says to them, even you who are evil, if you have a child who asks for a fish, you don't look at him and hand him a snake, do you? Right? No, even you know that you have, your children have wants and needs, and you're going to give them the thing they need when they ask for it. And you're not going to sit there and play mean tricks on them and be like, ha, enjoy that snake. I know you want a fish. You know, or they ask for bread, and you're like, oh, you want bread? Here, here's a bag of rocks. Enjoy. No, God tells us that even evil men know how to take care of their kids and give them good gifts. And God reminds us here of what, our truly, what truly our greatest need is. Our greatest need just isn't uh, food for the day. Our greatest need just isn't getting through for the next uh, few hours to, to whatever it is, to overcome whatever hurdle is in our path. No, our greatest need we have is God himself. Jesus tells us, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these will be given to you. And we see this reinforced here in this parable by Jesus telling us that God, who is good in heaven, will give you exactly what you need, right? And what is it that he gives us he needs? He gives us the Holy Spirit. He gives us the Holy Spirit. He gives himself to us freely because that is our greatest need, church. That truly is our greatest need. When we receive the Holy Spirit, we get God with us, near us. God has promised to give us that good gift when we ask and we seek and we knock because He is the object of our prayers and our pursuit of knowing Him and trusting Him and being like Him is that driving force behind our prayers. This is God taking our will as humans who think just small uh, things that are focused on just immediate things in front of our face and turning it to God and making our will more like His. Kingdom-minded like His. Taking our will and turning it like Christ who trusted His Father in heaven perfectly. This is the driving force behind our prayers. God is the focus and He is the driving force behind our prayers. And when we ask and we seek and we knock, what do we get? We get more of Him. We get more of Him. That's beautiful, church. That is beautiful for us. The one true living God, creator of all things on heaven and on earth, tells us to come to him. 
and we get him, and we get to come to him like he's our father in heaven. Don't miss the blessing that that is today. Don't miss the blessing that it is. As we get ready to close out, I want to just leave us with a few points of application. And click on to the next slide too, that'd be great. First and foremost, church, if we're going to sit here and we're going to say we want to be a praying church and we're going to open to God's word to see where Jesus teaches us how and why we should pray, guess what the first point of application for us should be? Pray! Pray! Don't neglect this, church. Let's not neglect this. Right? Historically, there are things in the lives of Christians uh, that we have called the ordinary means of grace. Right? And what does that mean when I say the ordinary means of grace? Well, I know we're not Presbyterians, but bear with me, because the Westminster Shorter Catechism gives a great description of what this means. In question 80, uh, 88, it describes the ordinary means of grace as the outward and ordinary means whereby Christ communicates the benefits of redemption. That's prayer, church. That is one of those ordinary means of grace. That's one of the things that we just get to do in our everyday lives that seems like, oh, sure, we'll pray. But it's not just we're coming to pray. We're coming to pray. Right? It is God giving us His grace daily through something that feels so ordinary and something we're so often to overlook to convey the benefits of redemption that we receive from Him. And what this means is that this is something that we regularly practice as a part of our life following Jesus that will cause us to think on and remind us of what Christ has done. And not only that, but now who we are in Christ and what He has saved us from. Prayer is one of those things. It's one of those things that we get to go back to do day after day to seek the Lord, to draw near to Him and to be reminded that Christ has ransomed us from our sin and from hell to eternal life with Him. Pray, church. Pray. Pray. Prayer is something God uses as we pursue Him through it to encourage one another well, or as well. So we seek God, we see Him, and we also saw in that, that teaching that Jesus provides uh, physically and spiritually for us. And He provides for one another as we seek to pray with one another and for one another. Use those times to seek God together, church. Come together, two or three gathered, to pray. Show care for one another and love for one another. And I know our look, our look at Luke 11 has been to push us to keep our prayer life focused on God. But what we really want to do is to orient our prayers in the right direction, right? Please don't take anything I've said today in keeping our prayers God-focused and think that I would be saying it's inappropriate to look at one another and say, how can I pray for you today? Or ask one another to pray for a burden that is on your back. That is not what I mean at all, church. These are things that we should regularly be doing together because it brings us together to pursue that one who has given us this ordinary means of grace. So pray. Pray. The second thing for us too, use the template that Jesus has given us, church. Use that template that Jesus has given us. We don't have to avoid prayer because we don't know what to say. We don't have to avoid prayer because we don't know how we should approach God. 
Use this template that Jesus has given us to war against our flesh when it discourages you from seeking the Lord by telling you you don't know what you're doing. Because if we're all honest and we're looking at each other, we'd probably say, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just doing what Jesus said to do. That's a good thing. If that's what we're doing, if we're just doing what Jesus said to do, that's what we want to do. We want to pursue him through this. Use this template. Use this template to, to seek after him. Our, our flesh will come to us and it will beat us down and it will tell us, oh, you didn't do it. You're behind. You're not keeping up with it like you should. And will tell us all kinds of lies to keep us from doing that. And one of those lies is you don't know what you're doing. But Jesus gives us a template. And if you don't know if that's your, your, the enemy speaking to you today, if that is that voice in your head telling you, I don't know if I should seek God today, look at that voice and call it the liar that it is. And if you need help, turn to Luke 11 again and use this template that Jesus has given us and seek Him as we pray. Use this template. Don't let it go to waste. The third thing, which is slightly related to, start small if you need to, church. Right? We say we want to be a praying church. And we're looking for ways to incorporate that more and more into the life of the church, into our worship. And so we're doing that little by little. And we're feeling things out. And it may be different next week than it was this week. Don't know. We may follow the exact same pattern. But what we do want to do is we want to start. Because if we don't start, we're never going to do it. This is not a beatdown, church. This is a reminder of the great joy and pleasure that we have. And so if you look at yourself and say, man... I want to pray like Jesus said to pray. And I want to know God like Jesus said I get to know God. And you don't know where to start? Just start small. Use the template and start small. We want to see our prayer do what Romans 12, 2 says it does in our lives. Where, G, or where Paul writes, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And if you struggle to see the point of prayer, wage war against that mindset because God is calling us to ask and to seek and to knock, to come to Him continually, to commune with the one true and living God as our Father in Heaven. And if we're struggling with that, start small. Start in the car on your way to work. Start when you come home and say, you know what, before I turn the TV on, God, I'm going to come to you. Start small. Start small and continue to ask and to seek and to knock. The enemy and our flesh work in our minds to convince us of many things to keep us from prayer. And the only way for us to really truly combat that church is to let the Holy Spirit help us make a conscious choice to put aside the things of the world that are distracting us from God and to pursue Him. Last thing that's on there for us application-wise Prayer like this only happens in and through Jesus. We don't pray like this when we're lost. We can't pray like this when we're lost. We need His Holy Spirit working in us. See, when we're lost, we pray for frivolous things. We pray for worldly things. We pray to sit there and tell God that He needs to prove Himself to us. And the prayer Jesus tells us to pray is God-focused, kingdom-minded, and Holy Spirit-driven. So we don't pray like this unless we have Jesus. Which means if you're hearing me say this right now and you don't have Him, 
If you have not turned to Him and He is not your King, you have not said, Lord, forgive me, I repent and I believe you are the Son of the living God, and I put my hope and my faith and my trust in you, if you have not done that, do that today. And let your prayers be transformed because God is not accountable to you. We are all accountable to Him. And He's given us His grace and His mercy through His Son, Jesus. And in that, we get to approach Him as children in faith. Prayers like this only happen if you belong to Jesus. Give your life to Him today if you are hearing my voice and you have not done that yet. Are you ready to close? I just wanted to share one story with you too. As I was getting ready this morning and I was thinking about all the things that hinder my prayer life and all the things that keep me from coming to God the way that I know I should, I turned and I looked and I saw my phone sitting on the counter. And I thought to myself, I have this little device that I carry with me all the time, right? I leave home, I'll turn around and go back to get it because I can't go anywhere without it now, right? But I have this little device, and what do I have this little device for? Because this lets me communicate with anyone on the face of the earth at any time I want. That's a, that's a cool gadget, right? That's a nice blessing of technology there. But that little thing sucks up so much of my time and my attention. And I'm so amazed at this tiny little computer that lets me talk to anybody across the face of the earth at any time I want to. But somehow, daily, I miss that I have a direct connection with the God who has created everything we are looking at today. Somehow I miss this powerful and marvelous and glorious God who has said, come to me, I am your Father. Why am I not captivated by that kind of instant communication? Why are we not captivated by that kind of instantaneous communication? Communication with our Heavenly Father. I used that A.W. Tozer quote earlier as we began, but I want to encourage us as we close out now, today do not be filled with the busyness or the barrenness of business, but let's be consumed by an urgency to pray and let our souls be captivated by the thought of engaging on the wonderful journey of being conformed to the image of Christ and knowing God more intimately. Let's pray together, church. Father, what a beautiful passage. What beautiful truth that it is, Lord, that we have you in heaven who is our heavenly Father, Lord. You are not impersonal, Lord. You are not uh, uncaring. But Father, you are here present with us with your Holy Spirit who you've given us to dwell inside of us, Lord. God, take our eyes off of the puny, weak things of this world, Lord, and just fill us with this picture of glory and majesty at the person of who you are. Lord, let us embrace this communication that you've given us. Lord, being able to come to you any day, any time, any night. At midnight, 3 a.m., middle of the day, in the car, in the bed, wherever we're at, Lord. Let us seek you and your kingdom first. And we know, Lord, you will add all these things to us when we do. So we praise you for your word today, Lord. I just pray that it would just penetrate our hearts. Lord, let us not be uh, beaten down right now at all of our admission of guilt for all the times that we 
know we have failed because we have. But Lord, I pray that, that Lord, we leave those things at the cross now and that we would see we have a beautiful opportunity before us to pursue you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.